If you want to grab your Bible and open up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Ready, guys? Let's pray. Hi, Liberty. Father God, thank you for children. Thank you for just even, as I can see, an eagerness to to go, to learn, and spend time with their friends, and to hear the good news of Jesus. Lord, may this time be a time where, um, as I prayed in the beginning, seeds of the gospel would be planted and that its roots would go deep into their hearts, and Lord, ultimately it will be bear fruit to them professing their faith in Jesus Christ, and that they will grow in holiness and in a desire to serve you. So Lord, use this time. Bless their teachers and open the eyes of their little hearts to see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may just walk on out. (laughs) So just as a a way of recapping where we've been, because we've been through a few weeks of Advent, and uh, last week Mike preached, and for which I am... Very thankful. Gives me a chance to, to get out. And, uh, but just as a way of reminder, we are in our 24th week in our series through Exodus called The God Who. And we've, we've broken down this series into kind of multiple mini-series. Uh, and this is where we've been so far. We've, we've talked about the God who hears. The Israelites were crying out. They've been in bondage. They've been oppressed. And uh, they've been in, they are, were in slavery and so their cry goes out, and God hears their cry. And for us, it should be one of those things that we go, that is our God. He is the God who hears our cries, who hears our pain, who understands exactly where we are. But then God doesn't just hear. We move on to the second section of the God who delivers. We saw God's mighty deliverance of taking the children of Israel, all of them, out of, out of Egypt into or through the Red Sea to the other side and providing for them on the other side, which comes to the next piece, the God who provides. He provided them with food. He provided them with his guidance and his very presence while they were in this desert area. But now we're in this section called the God who commands. The children of Israel have have come to the mountain of God, and God is giving them what we know as the... Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And God gave these commandments to Israel after they had just come out of hundreds of years. Hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. They've been in political, social, economic, and spiritual bondage for hundreds of years. Some of you think that you're in bondage and you've got it rough. This is hundreds of years of being in slavery 
having no ability to choose where you go, what you do, how you might aspire to this or aspire to that. They were in bondage, but God set them free. He, he set them free. And now after three years of being, or three months of being free, after him taking them through to the other side of the Red Sea, God is now starting off in Exodus 20 by reminding them of this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land, the house of slavery. It's in the context of liberty. It's in the context of freedom that God gives these commands. The goal of these very commands is to protect the blessings of freedom achieved by God when he liberated them out of Egypt. So today we're going to keep on moving through. We're going to be walking through the fourth uh, commandment which are in verses 8 through 11, but we're going to read through that whole section all the way up to verse 21, starting at verse 1, going through 21. But kind of keep your ears open for verses 8 through 11. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. You or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You shall speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a blessing on this. 
Father God, um, as we open your word and hear your word, remind us that this is a holy book. It is a holy book that is without error. It, does, we will, it will never fail us. For you are the author. You spoke. Lord, give us hearts this morning to hear this. May our hearts be prepared to receive it. May we have hearts and minds and lives that are ready to act upon it with the power of the Spirit leading and guiding us along the way. Give the words, Lord, and a spirit that is sensitive to your Spirit's leading. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've walked through the first three commandments already, and I'm going to just give you a real brief recap. In studying the first commandment, we indicated that this commandment was about the proper object or the proper person of our worship, that only the one and true God is to be worshipped. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the uh, land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God's talking about his presence. I am, he is the God who is absolutely everywhere. And he says, no other gods. You shall worship no other gods. And it's not just talking about erecting a, a little statue here, a little statue there, having a shrine in your house, because that's kind of what we think about other gods or idols. But God is saying, no, 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 no. No, nothing else that should have a value higher than me. I am to be your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of this house of slavery. Worship me and me alone. And then he goes on to the second one saying, um, this is how we are to be worshiping. How are we to worship this one true God? God says, don't worship me via idols. They weren't to be made and they weren't to be used in any kind of worship. It's not simply that you shouldn't worship idols in addition to the one true God. It's not simply that you shouldn't worship in the idols in place of God. It's that you shouldn't worship idols as a means of worshiping the one true God. God dictates how he wants to be worshiped. That's why we've got to be very careful as a church of how we worship and what we do in our worship series or our worship times together because I do not want to be in any way the means by which you think that you can enter into God's presence. That's ridiculous. Then I somehow become an idol that is raised up on a platform. We want you through the word and through sacraments to experience and to receive God's blessing through him and him alone. Then we come to the, the third commandment. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And if you were here um, for that, that sermon, you know, kind of as a kid, I was basically told, don't cuss. Don't, don't, don't GD this or JC this. You know, that, that, that's what it's talking about. Yes, it's true not to take God's name lightly in any way because it's a holy God. He's the God who has saved us. We just don't misuse it, but it's far deeper than that. It's not just about bad humor of using God's name. It's not just about cursing or a broken oath. It's more than that. 
For many of us, it, it could mean professing faith in Jesus Christ, claiming to be a Christian, receiving baptism, and yet totally walking in worldliness. Because we take on the name of Christ as Christians. Even the name Christians says something about who's that we belong to. Denying our profession of faith by our lives, my friend, is, is breaking the third commandment. So now we come to the fourth commandment. Honestly, it is really the commandment that we love to hate. The reality is, is that when we talk about this commandment, many of us are scared to death. Because this is the commandment where you're going, you're taking away my freedoms. This is my day off, man. Don't touch my day. Sunday? We, we kind of, we chafe at the thought of, Paul might be preaching a sermon that's going to be touching on your realm of reality, of your realm of freedom. It's really a blessing we love to hate. God has given us a huge blessing. We rarely, we rarely think about, think about this, we rarely relish in the fourth commandment, much less delight in it. It's my desire today to have you come to relish the Lord's day, to really relish it, to, to long for it, to exalt in it. And I'm going to be up front right now. If you're going to use my life as an example, you're going to be sorely disappointed. We all have a lot of room to grow in, especially in this one. How do we grow in keeping the Lord's day? Remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. How do we do that? Because the reality is the Lord's Day is one of those subjects that, one, that I will hear, yeah, but Paul, what about this? <laughs> what about this? Can I do this? Or what about that? Is this okay? Before we even start talking really about the roots and the underlying meaning of the Lord's Day. The reality is our nature is not warm to the subject of the Lord's Day. There may be a deep inside longing for rest but yet everything about us says no. We're afraid that the theological or ethical police are going to start going down our list of Sunday activities, right? And start crossing off certain elements. No, you can't do that. Nope, can't do that. A little funny as a kid, I grew up in a very uh, Christian subculture. And where we went to church once on Sunday morning and once on Sunday evening... And in between the Sunday morning service and the Sunday evening service, we would often do it, go to my grandparents' house for Sunday dinner. It wasn't lunch. It was dinner because the evening meal was always supper. That's right. Um, and so we would always go there for the same meal. We could always count on it. And Grandma would often do certain things well ahead of time so that on Sunday morning she would do very little preparation. And then we would always... It, kind of heartwarming still to this day, it would be shake and bake chicken. I love shake and bake chicken. To this day, it's, it's one of those warm fuzzies and mashed potatoes and green beans. And, but after that, after that meal, 
We could do nothing but watch football and take a nap. <laughs> we could not go out and ride bicycle. We could not go out and play any kind of sports activity. And I remember one time hearing about a kid who went swimming in the public, uh, public pool. You know what happened to him? He drowned. Do you know why? Because he went swimming on the Lord's Day. So that's the kind of the culture that I grew up in about the Lord's Day. Kind of this legalistic kind of end of, of observing the Lord's Day. You are doing recreational activities when you should be resting. In other words, napping or Bible study. So I want us to understand this, this very important thing because I think it is extremely relevant for you and me in an extremely busy, chaotic world where our schedules are so packed full that we are just dying on the inside. So what I want us to do is I first want to see the command given in verse 8. And then I want you to see the, some specifics of this command given in verses 9 and 10. And then ultimately I want you to see the rationale of this command given in verse 11. And as we do so, I, I want you to see the Sabbath as a holy day of rest because of what God did in creation. And when you realize that, you will begin to better understand why the Old Testament Sabbath principle still has implications today for us as New Testament Christians. So let's look at these three things together and let's look at verse 8. Let me read it again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Here we see the command itself. It's a, it's a call for you and me to remember. A call to this remembrance of a day of rest. A day to be honored by keeping it very distinct. Very other, isn't it? If we want to give a short summary of what God is saying here in Exodus 8. He is saying, keep the day of rest holy. Keep it holy. How many of you would honestly say, you are keeping the day holy. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Israel must, he, they were saying here in verse 8, Moses was saying, God says this. You must remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, undefiled. You have already noticed maybe that this is the first command that we've studied so far that has been stated positively. Maybe you didn't. It's the only, only two of the commands that we have looked at so far, or that we have that are stated positively. The other command is stated positively is the next command, the fifth command. If you look at the fifth command, honor your father and your mother. The other ones, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. But this is saying, remember, remember. It's, it's a positive command. We live in a day and an age where we don't like negative commandments at all. You cannot do this. Don't do this. And what do we do? You tell me no. What do I do? Bring it. I'm going to do it. And not only am I going to do it, I'm going to do it even more to show you who is in control. But this, it strikes me as interesting that the one commandment here that we have, we have the hard time with it, and it is being stated positively. It's positive. You see, 
if we don't like the content, we really don't care whether it's stated positively or negatively. We just don't like it. But that, as an aside, this command begins with not with a do not or don't, but a remember. Remember. The remember, a remember means to observe something. And how do I know that? Well, look at the last phrase in verse 8. How do I know that? It says here, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. The very sentence defines it. How do you remember the Sabbath day? You keep it holy. You could even translate it as remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In fact, here's kind of me kind of doing some of my Hebrew work, which took a lot of work for me. This is one kind of very raw way that you could use, uh, translate verse 8. Remember the stop working day by observing its sacredness. Remember the stop working day by observing its sacredness. And to remember something is not just a bare mental activity. You know, oh, that's right. It's the seventh day. I've got to kind of take a day off. It's it's holy. It's not just a, a bare activity of remembering. Like, oh, I remember when I was a kid doing this, or I remember just last week when my wife and I went and we did this. It's not that kind of remembering, but it is the kind of remembering that is an embrace, an active embrace of the realization that God rested on that day for my benefit in his graciousness and observing of that day as he calls us to do. I am embracing that day. I'm not just thinking about it. I am embracing a day of rest. There's even similar terminology found in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24 and 25. When we, Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper. What is he saying? He says, do this in remembrance. It's not just a, oh, I remember what Jesus did. It's more than that. So to remember, to say remember the Sabbath day, to call, is to call us into it, to, to enter into it, to memorialize it, and even to somehow reenact that original divine Sabbath that God took. God is calling out to us, hey, remember this day of rest, and I am inviting you to come into it and reenact it embrace it, to enjoy it. God took the Sabbath day, Jesus said, in Mark chapter 2, because we need it. The Sabbath was made for who? Man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you. God created the Sabbath day even before our fall into sin because we needed it. In his mercy, in his goodness, in his compassion, he gave us that particular command because he knows you need rest, right? But it's not... I can't get ahead of myself yet. 
So, so now to remember the Sabbath day then definitely, definitely points to a Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day that the Lord took was in creation. That Sabbath was the original Sabbath of all Sabbaths. Our Sabbaths or the, the New Testament Sabbaths are copies of that original Sabbath. So every, every time that we gather together as New Testament believers on a Sunday... It is a copy of that original Sabbath that was taken part at the end of the seven days of creation. We are trying to replicate, live into that Sabbath. When we are called by God to enter into keeping that Sabbath day, He is calling us to participate in His Sabbath. And I want you to notice something. God never asks you to do what he himself is not prepared to do. Think about that. God never asks you to do what he himself is not prepared to do. He kept the Sabbath day, not because he needed it, but because you need it for your benefit. And then he calls on you to join in with him in this reenactment, in this memorializing, in this remembering of this divine Sabbath. Now, when I've talked to some people, they, I said, so what does the Sabbath mean? Well, it means Saturday. Or it means Sunday. It all depends on, you know, kind of what tradition you've grown up. What is Sabbath? Well, it, it means, uh, or some people have even told me, well, it means seventh. Since uh, God works for six days and on the seventh he rested, so the seventh must mean Sabbath, right? No, Sabbath means to desist from labor, to stop working. That's where I kind of got that weird translation to the stop working day. God calls it, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the day you desist from labor and hence the stop working day. It is a day of rest for you and me. But some of you are already kind of going through your, your calendar and going, okay, so how do I do this? How, how is the stop working day to be observed as holy? How, how do I work this out day in and day out? Well, the next two verses explain explicitly how we are to observe it as holy. And if you haven't already caught it from the name of the day already, it's a Sabbath day, remember? It's the stop working day. Hint, hint, Moses is saying. Hint, hint. This is how you observe the stop working day. And he'll tell you explicitly in verses 9 and 10. But before we get there, whatever else is intended in this sentence, it is clear, absolutely clear, that Israel is to remember, embrace, dive into, live into the stop working day by keeping its sacredness. So here's my second point. How, how does one keep the Sabbath day. Here we get into a little bit more of the specifics of the, uh, this command in verses 9 and 10. The, 
a little bit more elaboration. How, does, how, how is it that one keeps the Sabbath day holy? Well, these verses tell you. Notice three things in this set of verses. First, the day is the Lord's day. Often when we talk about the weekend, whose weekend is it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? If, and that was very honest and raw. Many of us say, it's my day, and I can do what I want to. That's my day. But it's the Lord's day. The Sabbath day not only belongs to him, but it is his day because of what he did on that day. The Sabbath is his day. Secondly, notice, that, notice the rhythm of work and rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. You notice that? Six on, one off. Six on, one off. And then notice there's a prohibition of work. Israel, realizing that this day is uniquely the Lord's, must carefully refrain from all unnecessary work on that day. That's, that's the nature of this command. Desist from working. The explanation begins at verse 9 with the flip side of rest. And the flip side of rest is what? Labor, right? And work. Six days you will work. Six days your work. God is not in giving you a Sabbath day calling you to idleness or absolute laziness. He is calling you to activity in serving him six days. Six days you shall labor. You shall work. You shall get your hands dirty. You shall use your mind. You shall lead people. You shall work really hard in six days. There's a rhythm of work and rest. Six days of work. One day of rest. There are two sides of the Sabbath. Labor and rest. There's a time for one, and there's a time for the other. And as we learn in verse 11, this rhythm itself is based on God's rhythm in creation. But, hear, hear this right now, it's not just about God's rhythm in creation. There's another deeper layer of meaning that I will share at the end. A far deeper and more profound meaning than just a calendar that is reoccurring, event that is reoccurring. God worked for six days in creating the world, and then he, God of all people, rested. The one who needs no rest, rested. So God's order in creation is to even have societal cons consequences in Israel. It's to have consequences for families. It's to have consequences on servants. It's to have consequences on animals and, and even for the foreigners, the sojourners, the people who are passing through. If you look carefully at Exodus uh, 20, verse 10, you'll find it's very, it, find very appropriately seven categories from who benefits from the Lord's day. You. Your sons, your daughters, your male servants, female servants, your domestic animals. Even animals. Animals get a Sabbath. And foreigners who are in the midst. Notice as well that the seventh day is called a day of rest of the Lord, your God. It's his day. It's the day that he rested. It's to be observed by remembering uh, and, and remembered by us by doing the exact same thing. God leads by example. And that, my friend, is not a burden. It's not a curse. 
It's a blessing. And I want you to just think about the context of these commands. God is speaking this command to a generation, a generation of slaves. And for 400 years, they have been in Egypt. For, for decades, their time had not been their own at all. Other people determined when they were, were going to work. Other people determined when they were going to rest. Other people tyrannically just drove them into the ground with labor nonstop. And now God the sovereign God of heaven and earth stands before them and says, listen, this is now the rule in my country for my people. I am going to give you seven and a half weeks of mandatory vacation every year. That's my rule. You are going to have seven and a half weeks of mandatory vacation every year. Israel, do you understand me? Seven and a half weeks of rest. That's my rule in my land. Those slaves, how would they have reacted? There would have been a dance party going on. They would have been, are you serious? So underneath this new kingdom with this, new, this king, there, there's not the demand to keep working and to perform and perform and perform and perform and perform for you. Seven days nonstop and then start the next week with the same kind of rituals. You want me to rest in you? God is societally blessing and enforcing a blessing on people who have been driven into the ground with performance. And in a day and age like ours, like yours, where workaholism is an epidemic at the individual level and in the corporate structure and the societal structure around us, it is driving us to incessant labor with never a pause for a breath of air. There can be nothing more glorious than seven and a half weeks of mandatory rest. Where do I come up with the seven and a half? Connor, throw up this next slide. Some of you saw this Facebook post and it's taking you off and I've got, still got harassed this morning. What does this number have to do with God? How many weeks are there? 52. How many Sundays do we have? 52 divided by seven. And this is the number that you get. And yes, I know, Matt Anderson, it goes on forever to infinity probably. <laughs> and, it, and if that is true, if it goes on to infinity, is that not an even more wonderful picture of what God is saying? For infinity, I want you to remember that this is how much time that you have to rest. On a weekly basis, I am setting apart one day for you to rest. To rest. So Israel is to stop to stop working by, they're to observe the stop working day by stopping working and not even making other people work. So I'm now going to pause and I'm going to meddle. 
Because that's what you love pastors to do, right? Kind of get into your business and bother you. Kind of go, leave it alone, leave it alone. You've been doing a fine job so far. But I'm going to get into particularly three areas of work. Uh, uh, three areas of your life. Wor your worship, your work, and your organized recreational activities. Mm-hmm. The blessings of enforced rest like the Sabbath can hardly be overestimated in our overscheduled society, right? That's just reality. There are very few cultures that are overscheduled like ours. Just do, a, just do a search. Even Europe gets it. They, they have these things called holidays where almost the whole country seems to go on holiday. And we are in such a culture where your boss is, you, this thing is constantly calling you to do something, right? You're constantly already looking at Monday going, okay, what do I got to do on Monday? And it's, it's not even Monday. It's probably even like Friday and you're worrying about, about Monday. And your boss might even be sending you emails and text messages because you, you're, you're so scheduled. You always got to be on top of the ball for the next thing. You folks work hard, but you even play hard, right? When you, when you go out and you play, you, you go all out. You, you, even your playing can be burdensome. Think about that. Your playing can be burdensome because of the schedule. The Sabbath day is a, design, a divine provision of sacred space time. It's like a sanctuary time designed to save you from yourself. So before I start getting to worship, I kind of throw up this next one. The Heidelberg Catechism is like a, a, a document used by the church to help instruct the church on what do we believe and why do we believe that. And the first question that the Heidelberg Catechism comes up with is, what is your only comfort in life and death? Well, ready, Connor? I'm going to read through it. The answer is this, that I am not my own. Oh, man. What did it say? That I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Kind of sweet words, right? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil and corporate America. Should be added in there. He so also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of the eternal life and makes me, hmm, makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. I, I think that we could probably, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you could say, absolutely, amen. Man, that, that's what Jesus did for me. But if we're not our own, ought we not to live like we're not our own? 
Think about that. The implications of professing something like that. If, if our time is not our own, we ought not to live as if our time is our own. And the irony is, if you live as if all your time is your own, it'll end up hurting you and mastering you. The ceasing of work and some recreation requires us to trust in God's provision. It requires you to trust Him. Because when, when we stop working and we rest, we wonder, what about all those other people who are kind of beavering away at work and making money? Shouldn't we be like them? They're probably getting ahead in the game. They're, they're, they're keeping their job and they're, they're making more money. Shouldn't we not be like those busy beavers out there? But no, God is saying, I want you. I want, you are mine. I care for you. Not a hair is going to fall from your head. Trust me. Rest. Rest. You're not your own. You're mine. Rest. Trust in my provision. So here comes the challenges with that, that kind of pre-thing. First, your worship. Are you keeping the Lord's day or are you keeping the Lord's morning? Or are you keeping the Lord's hour and a half? Is it the Lord's day for you? Or are you keeping the Lord's day in ways about how you want to do it? Do you ever, after you go home or before you even show up for worship, is there ever a family discussion about the things of the Lord? Or is it like, get the kids out the door, let's go, we're running late, come on, you just got to take a bath, we got to change this, where's his clothes, where's the shoes, where's the clothes? get out the door, we just get angry. It, it, do, we, do we ever plan in such a way that we say, let's prepare for the Lord's day so that we can have appropriate preparation before we go, and then when we get home, there is appropriate, uh, we prepared appropriately so that when we get home, we can enjoy the Lord's day. Is there, is there time discussing the sermon or is there additional, intentional, additional reading from Scripture or some good book? Or is there private time where you're just enjoying the Lord, listening to good, good Christian music and worship? The reality is the Lord's day is under assault in our culture from Christians who don't want the day to be His. I don't have the answers of how this works out. I'm not calling you to take out your Google uh, calendar and just clear off the rest of the day because Paul screwed up that day. But I think we do have to ask very intentionally, if this is the Lord's day, how do we keep his day? How about your work? Are you working on the Lord's day unnecessarily? Both the Old Testament and New Testament recognize that there were such things as necessary work and deeds of mercy that needed to be done. 
In fact, if an ox fell and uh, was caught in a pit as an act of mercy, you take the ox out of the pit. It's an act of mercy, and there are certain deeds that you were allowed to, to do. And if you were called upon, mercy had to be shown. And there's also legitimate acts of uh, work that need to be done. There's legitimate activities. I'm thankful for healthcare professionals. I'm thankful there are doctors, nurses, and firemen, and paramedic, and policemen who do work on the Lord's day, necessary work. But have you begun to do work on the Lord's day that is not necessary? Because sometimes what do we do? All right, we're done with church. I've done my duty. Let's get ready for Monday. Exactly. Students, what do you do? You kind of use the afternoon and evening, right? Catch up on homework. <laughs> Maybe not Elliot, but, uh, but you know, we, we kind of, oh, okay, that, that checkbox has been done. Now I've got to get to work to get ready for Monday. Or maybe you're saying, well, I've got a spare, a side job that I could be doing, make a little bit of extra cash on the weekend so I could get ahead in my bills. Is that unnecessary work that God is saying, no, I want you by faith to trust in me that I am the greatest provider for you. Will you trust in me? And story after story, person after person who have trusted in God, you know what? God, I trust you. I'm not going to go buck wild after this. I'm going to trust in your provision. If you ask people like that, you will hear the blessings of how God provides for you and cares for you. Thirdly, organized sporting events, recreation. Let me go even deeper, since we have many young families. And I know not everybody is in this boat right now, but for some of you, you will be someday, and they're very appropriate things to start thinking about now. I also recognize it might not be a, sporting, a youth sporting event for you, but it can very well be a calendar event. A calendar event that is constantly demanding your attention. But let me talk about the sporting events and I'll let you kind of work it out in your own way. Are the multiplying youth sporting events on Sunday ruining your Lord's Day? Once your schedule belongs to someone else, the reality is you're back in slavery. And you're back in slavery and, and you, you don't experience the freedom of the Lord's Day. And all too often, here's the reality, all too often, this is us doing it to us. We're doing it to ourselves. Because our kids have dreams, and they have hopes, they have desires, and they're gifted, and they're talented, and they might be the next. Fill in the name of whoever you think that they might be like. And we, we, have, we want them to achieve these things. And if we don't do them on Sunday, well, we're going to rob them. What are you ultimately robbing them from? Of You're robbing them of rest and trusting in God's provision. If God meant, meant your child to be a gymna gymnast, 
or a, an amazing basketball star or cross country or whatever it is, baseball, God will make it happen. Amen. Keep the Sabbath day holy, set apart. The reality is if we don't observe it, you can see how God over in history deals with it and he often just takes away the Sabbath day and it becomes a master where we are punished and destroyed. So here's my third point. What's the rationale for the, the Sabbath? If you look at verse 11, God himself worked six days and he rested one. He made it holy and so should we. That's the logic of verse 11. Israel must keep the, the day because of the creational order established by God because of his rest and his consecration, his setting apart of that day. He rested so they should rest too. That's the rationale. It's God's creation order and God's pattern set out. And we, we too should, are to observe a holy day of resting from labor because God called this holy day of rest by resting from labor. We are to act as he acted. After all, we're made in his image, right? We're to do like he does, aren't we? So in keeping the Sabbath day, we are commemorating an act of God that he did for us solely for our benefit. The, the rest in God's resting is, a, the rest is God's resting and therefore it is his holying, his hallowing it. God ceased from his creational labor and therefore he made a day holy. We keep the day holy by ceasing from labor. Now here's the twist, the deeper level. The Sabbath was and is pointing to something utterly essential for us. And it's even more than just a rhythm of rest and a rhythm of work. Something that should call us to greater observance and appreciation. The Sabbath points to the coming of Christ and salvation by resting rather than working. It points to Christ, the greater Sabbath, our rest. He's the one in whom we can rest and cease our works of trying to appease a holy God. We're resting in Him. And this is what the Sabbath points to. Listen to Hebrews 4 verse 10. For whoever entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did, his, did from his. Whoever entered God's rest. That's talking about whoever is in Christ. Whoever entered into God's rest has also rested from his works. His works of man, self self. Uh, I don't know what word I'm trying to come up with. Self, 
making myself better and more appealing before God, these, these works of righteousness. You know, I, I'm ceasing doing all those good works just to appeal to God. We're, we're ceasing from that, and we're resting. The Sabbath is a blessing, friends. It is. It's not a curse. It's a boon, and it's not, it's not a burden. And when we delight in it, we will be refreshed. My card's on the table. I tire quickly. You do too. Why? Because we don't rest. We don't. You know, there's, there was a time in Missio Day, and we kind of talk about this every once in a while, about wouldn't it be kind of neat to do a, a morning and evening service where the whole day is a day of rest in God, of learning and growing and designated and it's set apart and it's holy and consecrated to God. And some of you are going, please don't ever do that. Please don't ever do that. Please don't ever do that. I just going to screw up my Sundays. But resting in Christ. My call to you this, this morning is that you carefully examine what is rest? What does a Sabbath rest truly mean? What is it for you and your family that you need to say, we need to cease and desist from doing this. We need to stop doing these things because it is just more activity. And when I get to Monday, I need a weekend already because I'm already exhausted going into Monday. What does it mean for you as a family when you go home this afternoon? What, how do you now fill your time? I'm not going to be a legalist and say you can't watch football. But I might be saying that maybe you shouldn't be watching football. You said something at the beginning, so touche. <laughs> maybe it's the most holy, precious thing to us that God is saying, stop. Cease and desist from doing that. And enjoy my rest. Take a nap. I know it's unheard of. Take a nap. Maybe it's sitting with the word open and just wrestling through this and praying through it and taking notes. Maybe it's sitting down with your, your missional community and just really wrestling through this because that's still part of the Lord's day of saying, what, what does this mean? And how, how do we work this out? It's still a day where you are enjoying God's presence and his favor. Maybe it's a time where you, you are just eating good food with your spouse or your dear friends and you, you are showing a kind of Christ-like hospitality as God has shown hospitality to you. But before you do that, maybe you should plan on Saturday 
so you're not running out to the grocery store kind of all frantic going, oh, we got to get some milk. We got to get some food. We got to get some wine. What are we serving? What about this? And your day is just no longer a day of rest. Maybe for some of you, it's actually stopping working. I'm, no. Honey, your boss just talk, texted you. I didn't see it. I'll get to him on Monday. It's our day of rest. We're trusting in God's provision. Maybe for some of you, as you look at your kids and they're growing up, you say, no, we cannot participate in this sporting event any longer because we need a day of rest. Those are questions that we've got to wrestle with. Because he said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We do thank you that you have blessed us with, uh, in your creational order, your pattern. You have blessed us with six days of labor to use our, our, our time, our talents, our treasure, our gifts, our passions to further your kingdom in this world. But Lord, we thank you that even after those six days of hard labor, that you call us to rest. Lord, many of us are still slaves, and we don't even realize it. We're slaves to calendar. We're slaves to events, even good events. We're slaves to them. We're slaves to activities that that might be good activities, but we're slaves to them, and we never are able to rest in you. Lord, remind us that you are all sufficient for us. You are enough for us. That you will care for us. There's not even a hair that will fall from our head that you don't know about, that you haven't even calculated. All these things are working together and you are sustaining us. So Lord, may this be a a family of people who are enjoying, relishing, embracing rest. Protect our hearts from legalism. May we experience the freedom that we have in Christ. And Lord, give us the rest that we need in our minds, in our hearts, our souls, and our bodies. And we pray this in the name.